and welcome to part three of our podcast on an introduction to digital transformation in Japan. My name is Yosuke Homa and I'm a senior associate and an England and Wales qualified registered foreign lawyer or Gaikoko Jimmy Bengoshi in the disputes group in HSF's Tokyo office. I'm also a part-time secondee to HSF's digital law group. To recap, in part one of this podcast series, we introduced the concept of digital transformation, what it might entail for different organizations and some of the key issues and considerations that are likely to accompany any digital transformation project. In part two of the podcast series, we looked at how the Japanese government has recognized and attempted to encourage digital transformation in recent years, noting that while it is still a work in progress, especially in the public sector, significant efforts are now being made to accelerate digital transformation. In this part three, we'll be discussing the various challenges to digital transformation in Japan, including the legal and regulatory landscape that impacts digital transformation. I'm joined again in part three by Okada-sensei from Mori Hamada and Matsumoto. Okada-sensei's practice focuses on IT and um, IP disputes and data protection, amongst others. He's also a member of the AI Social Implementation Guide Working Group set up by the Ministry of Economy, Trade and Industry, or METI. Thank you very much again for joining us uh, for the podcast, Okada-sensei. Thank you very much for having me again for part three. Great. I'd like to start things off with a discussion on the regulatory environment in Japan that is relevant for digital transformation. As discussed in part one, digital transformation is such a broad concept that countless laws and regulations are likely to be relevant. So it's only possible to scratch the surface today. The first area I wanted to touch on is artificial intelligence. In April this year, the EU Commission released a regulatory proposal which would ban AI systems that are of unacceptable risk. For example, those that manipulate human behavior through subliminal techniques and also impose financial penalties of up to 30 million euros or 6% of total worldwide annual turnover for operating such AI systems in violation of the proposed regulations. The proposed regulations are to have extraterritorial reach, much like the GDPR in the context of data protection. What's the current position in Japan on regulating the use of AI? In Japan, in July 2021, the MIDI published the governance guidelines for implementation of AI principles. The Japanese approach contrasts with the EU approach because the current Japanese approach is that from the perspective of balancing respect for AI principles and the promotion of innovation, AI governance should be designed mainly with soft rules such as legally non-binding corporate governance guidelines. Each of the EU and Japanese approach has pros and cons, and at this point it is hard to predict which approach will eventually pre prevail globally, but uh, I hope cross-jurisdictional discussion will lead to harmonized and productive regulatory approach in the future. The contrasting approaches between the EU and Japan is certainly interesting, and our clients are likely to need to keep abreast of how regulations develop in multiple jurisdictions where services are offered or customers are based. I believe there's also been recent developments with respect to data transactions and big data. Could you briefly explain to the listeners what these are? 
Sure. Uh, let me explain uh, from two perspectives. The first is um, the data transactions uh, in terms of utilization of data. The second perspective is um, development of IP laws in terms of protection of data. So as for the first perspective, data transaction, um, one of the Japanese government's policy objectives is to facilitate data exchange because data processing, data analysis, combination of data exchange by multiple parties may often increase value of such data. However, the data economy is beginning to trouble stakeholders because there is uncertainty as to the applicable legal rules and doctrines. For example, there is uncertainty about what rights parties own and can trade in. For example, who owns the data generated by an activity such as driving a connected car? And who might have to pay compensation to whom for exploiting the data's economic potential? This kind of uncertainty undermines the predictability necessary for transactions. In order to promote reasonable negotiations, and execution of contracts, reducing transaction costs, and diffusing data transactions. The MIDI published in 2018 the contract guidelines on utilization of AI and data, which was amended in December 2019. The MIDI guidelines actually greatly impacted the American Law Institute and European Law Institute's principles for data economy and played an important role in shaping the current draft. And now move to the second perspective, the development of IP laws in terms of protection of data. In order to facilitate data exchange, it is necessary to ensure that inappropriate data misuse or leakage should be prohibited. Variable big data has not been adequately promoted, sorry, protected under tra traditional IP laws, such as patent, copyright, or trade secret. The uh, 2018 amendment to the Unfair Competition Prevention Act expanded protection of big data, which does not constitute trade secrets. On the other hand, the amendment to the Copyright Act uh, the same year facilitated data exploitation for machine learning to develop AI. So this is another example that Japanese government has always been trying to take a balanced approach between data protection and data utilization to promote innovation. Thank you, that's very interesting. And uh, turning back to data protection, which you've touched upon, I believe the amendments to the Act on the Protection of Personal Information or APPI are due to come into effect soon. What are the main changes to the APPI? The 2020 amendment to the APPI will come into full effect in April 2022 and will expand the scope of data subject rights, introduce mandatory data, re data breach reporting, broaden extraterritorial enforcement options, and impose stricter restrictions on cross-border transfers while facilitating the use of pseudonymized data. Although Japanese APPI does not have an administrative fine as a sanction, unlike GDPR, 
foreign business should be aware that extraterritorial application will be expanded and also should check if their privacy policy is compliant with the amended APPI's detailed disclosure requirements on cross-border data transfer. Thank you very much, Kada Sensei. I want to touch on blockchain-based smart contracts, um, and you, you mentioned blockchain um, in part two, I believe. Um, various governments are keen to track the resolution of disputes related to digital technologies, such as blockchain-based smart contracts to their shores. In the UK, for example, the UK Jurisdiction Task Force published a legal statement on crypto assets and smart contracts in 2019, which, while not legally binding, confirmed the UK Jurisdiction Task Force's view that blockchain-based smart contracts are capable of satisfying the basic requirements of an English law contract. The legal statement is intended to encourage and accelerate the adoption of smart legal contracts and the choice of English law to govern them. Are there similar discussions in Japan around the legality of blockchain-based smart contracts? As far as I am aware, there has been no in-depth legal analysis on smart contracts at the level of the governmental official committee, but uh, I expect that there will be more discussion in the future. Great. I now want to move on to a slightly different topic. We discussed in part two that various administrations of the Japanese government has recognized the importance of digital transformation, but it's still a work in progress. What would you say are Japan's biggest challenges in terms of digital transformation? Uh, there are a lot of uh, challenges. A few examples are um, need to strengthen the coordination framework and align policies and sector regulation and also scale up investment and dedication of resources. So um, until recently, the Japanese government has been fully occupied for dealing with COVID-19 issues, which has been a higher priority than digital transformation. Uh, but uh, now that COVID has somewhat calmed down, at least in Japan, and the political situation is stable just after the general election. So the government is expected to lead efforts in um, digital transformation and remove regulations that create barriers for companies to promote DX. And uh, I think uh, the digital agency should uh, play a vital role in that. Thank you very much. We hope that the new digital agency can facilitate the acceleration of digital transformation in Japan. Um, now I'd like to move on to discuss the practical challenges in implementing, implementing any digital transformation project within an organization. There are of course some common issues that our client organizations face when attempting to implement such uh, digitization and digitalization projects irrespective of which country they're based in. These could be, for example, the cost and complexity of digital transformation projects, or resistance from the workforce in adopting new technologies or new processes, or lack of knowledge of possible solutions, which might mean that digital transformation is not even considered in the first place. In your experience, are there any practical challenges which are specific to Japan? 
Let me uh, take three examples. The first one is a uh, lack of diversity, including race, ethnicity, and gender. I think uh, Japanese companies tend to consist of rather a homogeneous group of similar people uh, in terms of diversity. And uh, if a company accepts diversity, there is a tendency to increase in creativity, flexibility, quality, and speed. So with improved creativity, flexibility, quality, and speed, you can respond to diversifying needs both inside and outside the company via digital transformation. The second challenge is lack of the management's leadership and technical knowledge. Uh, Japanese companies are aware of such challenges and recently a lot of Japanese companies have established new positions such as CTO or CIO, but uh, uh, I believe that there are still many cases where such persons do not have sufficient technical knowledge or such departments do not have enough staff who have sufficient uh, technical expertise to support uh, such leaders. The third and the final uh, challenge is uh, promotion, which is based on seniority rather than labor productivity. So there is no incentive to innovate. Uh, in Japan, it is said that uh, the characteristics of companies is to focus on, fo focus on quality and proceed with caution and certainty. But this way of proceeding can be sometimes detrimental to utilizing innovative technologies. Further, in Japanese companies, there is a strong um, corporate culture that does not accept those who fail. In the internal competition for advancement from the bottom to the top management, failure is only a negative thing. Japanese companies need to have the courage to question traditions and common sense and actively embrace new technological innovations while tolerating failure. Thank you very much, Kada-sensei. These are certainly uh, Japan-specific factors that our multinational clients may need to take into consideration, uh, especially if they've recently acquired or invested in a company in Japan. And I want to turn to the legal risks associated with digital transformation projects and the potential for disputes to arise. Of course, there will always be risks associated with large-scale projects if the implementation does not go smoothly. This might be breaches of contract, employment issues, data breach issues. The clearing an organization is about what its digital transformation journey should look like and the steps to be taken to get there, the better prepared it can be. In so far as there is an element of outsourcing to the digital transformation projects, and in most cases there will be, it will be important to understand both from the customer's and the supplier's perspective what is required by the customer and what each party has to do to ensure that it is possible and the project is successful. The clearer the contract is and the more parties have thought about the issues in the past, the easier it will be. The implementation of contractual terms should be closely monitored and issues should be flagged as soon as possible with the suppliers. Yes, and uh, given many Japanese companies have operations around the globe, it is vital for these companies to understand the regulatory and legal environment in the jurisdictions where those technologies will be used, 
and uh, adapt its approach as appropriate and keep up to date with developments. Such matters can be fast moving. That's right. And with HSS Global Footprint, we're well placed to provide such a multi-jurisdictional analysis. I also want to remind our listeners that parties should give due consideration to their dispute resolution clauses to ensure that the contracts contain a suitable dispute resolution mechanism, which allows issues to be dealt with quickly and or by tribunals with the requisite skills to understand the issues. On this point, I want to flag that the UK Jurisdictional Task Force recently published the Digital Dispute Resolution Rules, specifically designed for the resolution of disputes related to crypto assets, smart contracts and blockchain applications. These rules provide users with a procedural framework and a choice of either arbitration or expert determination, which makes international enforcement easier than court judgments. Members of HSF's Digital Law Group were involved in the drafting of these rules. Now, I want to turn to our final discussion topic, uh, which is the trends that we expect to see in the technology and digital space in Japan in the future. As more and more Japanese companies start to move towards this digitalization, they need to analyze their processes and appoint dedicated resources to chart out a path towards digitalization and then digitalization. As I mentioned in part one of the podcast series, the first step in that journey will probably be digitizing contracts and adoption of cloud technologies. There will be actively there will be activity in the outsourcing sector here and opportunities for companies that provide these services. That's right, and Japanese companies are actively investing abroad uh, to take the benefit of key innovations from other countries. There may be increased M&A and JV activity as a result. Companies are also likely to be collecting more data and using data centers and drawing insights from it, with opportunities here for data analytics companies. As companies become more comfortable with technology, they may consider process automation and artificial intelligence in some form. A more advanced step in relation to digital transformation would be adoption of blockchain technology and smart legal contracts. Later down the line, companies may also start to consider how to monetize the data they have collected. There are some global leaders in this space in Japan, but uh, we expect the pace of digitalization will no doubt increase for many companies in Japan. Thank you, Kata-sensei. That's all we have time for today, and this wraps up our podcast series on digital transformation in Japan. Just to recap, we discussed some of the recent legal and regulatory developments related to digital transformation, the practical and regulatory challenges in Japan for digital transformation projects, as well as associated legal risks and how to mitigate these. Finally, we discussed the likely trend for Japanese companies for digital transformation. We hope you found the discussion interesting. If you have any specific queries in relation to digital transformation, please do feel free to get in touch with me or any member of HSF's digital law group and we'll be more than happy to assist with your query. I would also like to thank Okada-sensei again for joining us and providing this insight into the situation in Japan. As a reminder, HSF's Tokyo office provides international legal advice and we work with experts such as Okada-sensei for Japanese law issues.
Thank you very much. And if any of the listeners would like to discuss specific Japanese law issues, please feel free to get in touch with me. Thank you.